I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and my guest today is Josh Kirschenbaum, the Vegetable Account Manager for Pan American Seed. Josh is truly a vegetable expert. From his past work in the consumer packet seed industry to his current role, he's been working for many years to bring home gardeners and fresh market farmers the best vegetables to maximize production and hit on the latest trend. In this episode, we start high level with big picture trends impacting the veggie and herb side of our industry and work our way towards some of the best new introductions from the past few years, touching on edible ornamentals, container gardening, the importance of earliness, specific disease resistance, and that today's vegetable breeders are working toward and even digging into the specific needs of high tunnel growers. Besides these topics, we also get into the top two vegetables, tomatoes and peppers, and the specific breeding direction, as well as others like squashes and more. Be sure to listen all the way to the end, because Josh gives us a sneak peek at what's coming in the near future with breakthroughs that are just around the corner. He also shares some of his personal favorites, and from a guy with so much experience, his advice is to be followed. We'll no doubt have Josh on again very soon because we left a lot on the table. Get ready for a wild ride. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four ideas lining up to support one key industry topic. Okay, STEM listeners, this one is specifically for greenhouse professionals, growers who sell to garden center retailers. Four ways to be the ultimate supplier to your retail customers. Because I work a lot with garden centers of all shapes and sizes, I often get asked the question, so what do they want from me as a grower? Obviously, the basics are understanding the business dynamics of your customers, clear and quick communication, shipping quality, and offering competitive pricing. These are pretty much the table stakes these days. Make sure you have these bases covered. But STEM listeners want more, right? So here you go. Four more best practices gleaned from my work with garden centers. How to be the ultimate supplier to your retail customers. First, collaboration. This is really the next level of understanding your customers. This is down the road toward partnership. So here's a cool idea. Conduct a supplier review with each of your key customers. Sit down with your buyer and go over your partnership and how you score as a plant supplier. Your best customers, they're gonna to wanna to help you get better. So encourage them to be honest and thorough. Don't get bogged down in anecdotes, but instead work together on an action plan for improvement. Most importantly, execute on what was discussed. This is the first step towards solidifying or building loyalty. Next, innovate. Your customers crave information about what's new. So in this case, it's new varieties, the new technology that drives our businesses. Leverage breeding company resources to position yourself as the expert. Host local trials if you have the space or visit local field trials and university trials together with your customers. Consider creating a local social media forum to share information and images. And if you receive samples of new varieties from all the breeding companies, grow them out, share them with your customers to generate feedback. Third, help train their retail staff. I know this sounds scary, but it's really not that hard. Product knowledge is key, and you have the ability to share it. A little bit of attention goes a long way, and your customers will really appreciate you spending time with their team, helping them better understand, and more importantly, sell the plants you supply. Consider creating small tip sheets or plant information sheets for the staff to carry. 
Not for every product, but for the new ones and the tricky ones. If you create one batch, you can share these with many customers and merely update them from year to year. If your customers have formal product training days or times each week, sometimes it's a Saturday morning, be sure to let them know that you're available to help out. Identify a person on your team who's really good at staff training, and that can be your go-to person. Last but not least, offer marketing support. Product information, tip sheets, even PR to local garden writers and bloggers, sharing local information via social media, these are all easy ways to show your customers that you support them and you're helping get the word out. Be a resource for photos or website info. Offer them free bench cards. Offer to lead an educational seminar for home gardeners. There are many ways to enhance the marketing your customers do every day and week. Trust me, they will appreciate all the help they can get. So I tried to keep Connect4 short and sweet this episode, because we have a ton of great content to get through with my man Josh from Pan American Seed. Let's talk veggie breeding. Trendy and delicious. It's my pleasure to welcome Josh Kirschenbaum to STEM. Josh has been the Vegetable Account Manager for Pan American Seed Company for the past five years, and prior to that, he was the Product Development Director for Territorial Seed Company, a mail-order garden catalog based out of Cottage Grove, Oregon. Josh has a bachelor's degree in plant biology from Ohio University and a passion for not only bringing the best new vegetables and herbs to market, but also for seeking out and, let's just say, sampling the flavors they offer. (laughs) Josh, welcome to STEM. Thank you, Bill. That was a lovely uh, introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) So you know what? Let's break the ice. It's not like the two talkers like us really need to do that, but what's your favorite vegetable to grow? What's your favorite vegetable to eat? And did you eat veggies as a kid? Ooh, those those are some uh, hard-hitting questions right out of the gate. (laughs) Um, I would say my favorite vegetable to grow is peppers. Um, there's just so many different types of them. There's obviously sweet peppers and hot peppers, but then within each one of those categories, there's so many different types and flavor profiles. Um, my favorite vegetable to eat, and you might, uh, after I tell you this, think that I'm weirder than you already think that I am, um, but I love kohlrabi. Uh, and yeah, for those people listening that aren't familiar with kohlrabi, it's, it's a member of the brassica family. So kale, cauliflower, broccoli, um, those types of crops. And it forms this bulb at the base of the plant um, that has a really, really nice crunch and texture to it. But it has kind of that broccoli cabbage flavor. I know that, uh, yeah, it, it's delicious. I love it, love it, love it. It grows really well in cool season, so it's really good uh, for spring or fall. Um, you can eat it raw. You can cook it. Cook it. Uh, there's many different uh, ways that you can prepare it, but it's really, really a delicious vegetable. That's awesome. My grandpa grew kohlrabi as a kid. I totally remember it in his vegetable garden every single year. Probably made sense since we were up north and it was a good cool season. Variety. Yeah. Did you eat veggies as a kid? Did you eat kohlrabi as a kid? <sighs> I definitely did not eat kohlrabi <laughs> as a kid. I did eat vegetables. It's funny because, you know, when I was a child, my mom made gardening, honestly, a chore for me. Um, and I did not really care for it very much. We, we had a vegetable garden um, behind our garage, a small one. 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't until later in life that I really gained appreciation for gardening in general, let alone, uh, you know, uh, specifically on the vegetables. So um, I, I did eat a few vegetables as a child. It was because I had to and I wasn't necessarily uh, asking for them. <laughs> it's funny. I wonder how many industry people's uh, parents either tried to discourage them or get them into the industry because my mom always had a saying I could do weeding or I could do reading and I spent a lot of <laughs> hours sitting on the couch reading so yeah exactly awesome. see I, I didn't have a choice I she, she my mom kind of made me do both <laughs> um, and then of course when I decided to study uh, plant biology and botany in college she was thrilled and kind of still to this day giving me a hard time about how much of a fuss I put up when I was a child about it <laughs> that's great so let's go ahead and get started kind of at a high level and work our way down into the details. So you've been involved in the veggie and herb side for many years, from Pan Am back to Territorial. Um, you're completely dialed into this segment from breeding and trialing all the way up through commercialization, which I think is going to make this talk uh, really interesting um, because you don't just know one segment. You understand sort of the way the whole chain works. So what are the big picture trends that you've seen emerging for maybe three years, five years, and what, what do you think the future looks like for veggies and herbs? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important, like when we're talking about trends, the first thing that we should probably do is take a look at the different market channels a little bit, because I think the trends within each one of those channels varies greatly. So for example, big ag, you know, that's something where the trend has been and continues to be things like high yields and, and, and shelf life and the ability to travel across the world without getting blemished or, or, or that type of thing. Um, I don't really think that that's, well, that's certainly not really what Pan American is trying to focus on. So I'll try to focus on the other two channels and the trends that are um, that I'm seeing within that. Um, and the first one would be like for, for fresh market farmers. Um, the people that would sell to, to at farmers markets or to local grocery stores or CSAs, which uh, stands for uh, Community Supported Agriculture, and I can go into that later too. But I think when it comes to the types of trends that we're seeing there, um, we're looking for flavor, we're looking for uniqueness, but on top of that, you're also looking for high yields and disease resistance. Um, especially when it comes to disease resistance, there's a lot of organic growing going on in that segment. And organic growing means that you can't oftentimes apply the same chemicals um, to control uh, diseases. And so having that disease resistance within the genetics um, is really, really useful. And then the home garden, you know, market channel, if you will, uh, quite honestly, they're, they're, the, the trends that I'm seeing there are very similar to the fresh market farmer. So basically, any of the varieties that Pan American has bred for these fresh market farmers right now would be very, very suitable for a home gardener. The one difference would be the trend that I'm seeing as far as patio gardening and container gardening with home, home gardeners. So a, a farmer isn't necessarily going to grow 5,000 <laughs> tomatoes that, that grow well in a container. So, so that's where there is a little bit of a differentiation and, and um, especially in our breeding efforts for the home garden, we're also including those patio type of uh, varieties, which is very, very important. I mean, 
a lot of people don't have as much space. A lot of people don't have a, gar- a, a yard at all. Um, but we still want to get them to try to grow their own food, and so this is a really good opportunity to do that. Okay, so one thing you mentioned I just want to dig into a little bit, no pun intended, is the organic <laughs> side, right? So mm-hmm. how, I guess, how, is that a market that's growing or emerging right now? Is that something that's been around and we're just sort of trying to breed for that? How, how does that, how's the organic grower what what are they looking for that's a little bit different than than other growers i really do think that it is um a a segment that is growing um and 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 it's not just certified organic because there's a lot of paperwork involved in in being certified organic and there's a lot of um hoops to jump through to be completely honest with Mm -hmm. you um so it's 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 either being certified organic or also just growing things sustainably um, so basically not using the chemicals and, and that type of stuff, but not being certified. Okay. Um, and I think that consumers, whether they're, they're becoming more and more aware of how things are being grown and where they're being grown. And I think, you know, there's also quite a big movement in, in growing things locally. And so being able to kind of, uh, you know, take those things into consideration, um, even from the breeding perspective, it, it's very important. So, so kind of to answer your question, the disease resistance it, it, it is very important for um, organic growers. And, and so that's one of the things. The other thing is, is we're noticing a lot of these types of um, growers in northern regions. So having things that mature early is also very important. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so it is growing, and, and people are becoming more aware of the nutritional value of the food that they're eating and, uh, you know, whether or not we agree with the, the, you know, the, the, the chemicals that are being put on um, the vegetables. It's something that people are on people's radar, and so it's something that, yeah, is becoming more and more um, popular, I guess. Okay, no, that makes sense. So you mentioned these two distinct markets, the, the fresh market farmer the home garden, you mentioned things like farm markets and CSAs. Do you see that segment as uh, as more of an emerging segment, the fresh market farmer? I mean, I, I hear about more and more, or and so I'm, I guess I've never been sure if those farms been around and they're just finding new paths to market. You know, CSAs seem very popular, even, you know, setting up CSA drop-off points at our, you know, at, at the garden centers we work with. Do you mm-hmm. see that that segment of the industry is one that's increasing? I know Pan, Pan American spending a lot of time focusing on these these two markets, yeah. but I'm specifically interested in that fresh market farmer. Absolutely. In a nutshell, yes, 100 percent. Um, I, I mentioned a little bit uh, about local production, and I think that uh, you know I might be seeing things through rose-colored glasses, but I think that this is a trend as far as buying from people that grow locally or nearby or small farms, that type of stuff. It's a trend that I think is going to stick around for quite some time because it simply makes sense. Um, You're supporting your local economy. You are getting fresher produce because it's not traveling across the world to get to your plate. Uh, You can talk to the people that are growing your food. And in all of these things, with how we're all connected through media outlets today mm-hmm. um they're all things that i think are very very important for consumers and so it is a trend that we're seeing growing i think that 
a lot of these farms have been around for quite some time and they're just becoming more noticeable because they have more opportunities through social media and things like that. But I also think that there's, we're seeing an emerging group of younger farmers that are actually interested in doing this, um, where there, that might not have been the case before. That's exciting. And so then it's very exciting exciting. because they're also, you know, have all these creative ideas and all these ways to get people excited about the stuff that they're, they're growing. And I'm not saying that farms that have been in existence for quite some time don't do that, but there's a lot of really new, fresh ideas, Mm -hmm. um, with these quote unquote kids these days, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm, I'm seeing a similar, um, similar, uh, thing emerging with garden centers where, you know, the, the, the next generation's taking over and management and general management of these operations. And, you know, mom and dad are still around. They're, you know, certainly still the backbone of the organization, but mm-hmm. a lot of new ideas and, you know, turnover in management is, is causing a lot of excitement. So that's really good to hear that that's hitting this segment as well. So yeah, absolutely. Talking a little bit about the breeding, you know, Pan American seed is known for flowers, um, everything from alyssum to zinnia for decades and decades. I think that our industry is very, and the listeners are very uh, familiar with Pan American seed, but, you know, even wave petunias. But I think, you know, so now that Pan Am's really making a name for itself in vegetables and herbs, winning, you know, All America Selections Awards, sort of being featured and, and spotlighted, can you talk a little bit about the goals of Pan American's breeding programs and the direction you guys are appointed these days? Sure. Um, yeah, so, so for the past maybe six to eight years, I would say, Pan American has really invested a lot of energy and resources into our vegetable breeding. And as I've mentioned before, I think that, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really trying to hit um, our breeding efforts on varieties that are suitable for these fresh market farmers. So again, high yielding, great tasting, disease resistant, early maturing, um, those are all types of things that, that we're going for in our breeding efforts for those, you know, targeting the fresh market farmer. That said, those are all things that would do very, very well for a home gardener, too. And so we have that avenue and that route that we can also um, take. And then on top of that, we have the, the patio type of varieties so that we can make sure that folks that want to grow um, have an opportunity to even if they don't have a lot of space. The other thing I think at least in my opinion, that we're, that we're aiming for. I think a lot of other vegetable breeding companies kind of start out focused on big ag products because that's where they sell the volumes. Um, and then things for fresh market farmers and home gardeners kind of trickle down, um, kind of a, I, I don't want to say leftovers necessarily, but maybe something that wouldn't be suited for big ag that they have and, and it would fit um, a particular market for the, the fresh market farmers and, and home gardeners. Pan Am's kind of looking at it starting at those segments rather than the big ag and trickling down. And so I think that's one way that differentiates us from many other breeding companies. And then the other thing is, is because we've gotten into vegetable breeding a little bit later or a lot later in the case of some of our competitors, I think it's important for us to kind of have some novelty as well. So not just having a good tasting red tomato um, 
but having a good tasting, highly productive, disease resistant striped cherry tomato that looks like an heirloom but has modern disease resistances built into it. Those are the types of things that we're also trying to to work on. Or I feel bad. We've been talking a lot about tomatoes, and it is the number one <laughs> vegetable grown. But there's, you know, peppers too. We introduced a couple of years ago um, some capsicum baccatum species, which are they're also considered like ahi, aji type mm -hmm. of peppers. Um, these are things that are typically grown in um, Peru and Bolivia and high elevations with lots of bright sunlight. And they're amazing peppers, but they just don't perform well in northern regions. And so we have actually bred them to perform well in northern regions. And so those are kind of the ways that we're trying to differentiate ourselves in our breeding. And where where do you guys do um, your vegetable breeding? Where, where, are the, where are the breeding programs located? So our breeders are based in Illinois at our research facility in Elburn. However, we have access to a lot of different trialing sites, both in North America as well as all across the world, where we can test things, trial them, um, and, and kind of bring them to fruition, if you will, mm -hmm. um, by, by doing extensive trialing in many different locations. I but think home that's base exciting. is yeah. in Illinois. Yeah. That's cool that it's domestic, domestic breeding with this worldwide trialing. I think that gives uh, some confidence to the performance of these varieties in, in, in our locations. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, I think about novelties, I think about some of the new products that Pan Americans brought to market. It, it is exciting. And, you know, you said that we've been talking a lot about tomatoes, but you know what? It is the number one seller. I think that it's a lot of people's entry point into growing vegetables from a consumer level. But let's let's talk a little bit more about tomatoes. Then we'll move on to peppers, which are also my favorites. So okay. can you share a few of your favorite tomato varieties that have come to market? Some of these novelties or you know improvements on the standards and why you feel that they are breakthroughs? Sure. So first one that comes to mind is of all of our tomatoes, it is my favorite tasting and it's called chocolate sprinkles. It's a cherry tomato and it has a, the, the fruit is dark red and then there's kind of green striping on it. Um, so it has that really neat look to it as well, but the flavor of it, it just has a really, really rich, full bodied tomato flavor, I guess. And what makes it unique is that any of the other striped cherry tomatoes that are out there, they don't really have disease resistance packages. And, and so this is disease resistant. It's an indeterminate tomato plant, which means that it'll, it's one that's basically suited for growing in the ground. It'll continue to produce fruit all season long. It'll continue to grow all season long. And when you picture what a big tomato plant looks like, that that's what this an indeterminate tomato is. Um, so that that would be one my 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 favorite, uh, especially flavor wise, um, and then a few years ago we introduced some um, uh, tomatoes that we call heirloom marriages, and the idea behind this is pretty simple. It's basically they're hybrid tomatoes, where both of the parents of the hybrid are heirlooms, and. What that does, like, you know, heirlooms have been around and passed down from generation to generation for a reason. And oftentimes it's because they're really good tasting. Um, they're also interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. But if you've ever grown one, like Brandywine, which is kind of the, the poster child for, for heirlooms, if you will, um, they're not really productive. They split easily. They're very late maturing. And so by creating these heirloom marriage hybrid tomatoes, 
we are able to add that hybrid vigor in. And so you're going to get much earlier maturing, much higher producing um, plants than just an heirloom. But you're, because both of the parents of this hybrid are heirlooms, you're still going to get those great flavors and those interesting shapes and colors. And so of all of, we, we have five of them right now. I'd have to say my favorite is a variety called Cherokee Carbon, which is one of those um, dark or, or black tomatoes. And, and um, it's pretty darn delicious. Uh, nice beef steak, another one that has a really good flavor, um, and just an interesting thing to look at, too. Because we eat with our eyes first, apparently. Definitely. I got to tell a quick story on chocolate sprinkles. We grow tons of cherries in our, in our vegetable garden at home. I pick them all, I put them all in a bowl, put them out on the counter, we eat them as snacks. Chocolate sprinkles is usually the first one to go. So nice. from an eight-year-old tomato connoisseur's perspective, it's also a big, a big, huge hit. So That is great. And I yeah. think, you know, that you also hit on another point. Um, we're the, the eight-year-olds of the world that are eating tomatoes are, our, you know, the future gardeners. And so it's also important for us to try to attract young people to eating vegetables it's, it's you know certainly um a, a noble uh <laughs> task but that's really important for us too and so having things we have a, another tomato called Candyland, which is a current type tomato c-u-r-r-a-n-t and they're really really tiny and i would imagine a youngster could easily go out and grab a handful of them and in pop them in their mouth quite easily and, and they're also nice and sweet and tasty too so so a lot Thank healthier, you for it's healthier than eating Skittles. That's for that sure. is very true. That is very true. And so and, and so, thank you for um, <laughs> growing vegetables for your children. And thank you. And and they're obviously smart kids if they like chocolate sprinkles the most. Oh, man. <laughs> it is a good one. It is a good one. And you know the heirloom marriages. What a cool concept. A hybrid with her, with heirloom parents. And I think I've always thought from day one. And I know that garden centers and growers appreciate also knowing who the parents are that are being crossed exactly. because there's really no, I mean, it's a very transparent program that you guys have out there so that, you know, we can look at those and go, Oh, that's a cross between this and this, that, that makes sense and really promote that um, to retail customers. I think that that's cool. So. Good. Yeah. Great. So let's move on to peppers. I know you said they're your favorite. They're my favorite. I think part of the interest is like you said, that there are just, so many different types of peppers from sweet to spicy to you know you can put them on and, and mix them in all sorts of different foods and there's so many new ones coming out and i've tried some of the, the latest like mad hatter dragon mm -hmm. roll i think was the hit last year i remember when when they started to uh ripen i saw it on facebook and instagram people cooking them and preparing them and you know really bragging about how how easy it was to make appetizers from them but um mm -hmm. how about any more that that should be on on growers and retailers lists so Another, probably one of the most exciting varieties uh, that I have seen come out of our breeding program in the past few years. We just introduced um, uh, and, and highlighted at Spring Trials this past uh, April is a habanero that is called Primero Red. And if anyone has ever grown a habanero before, they like a lot of heat um, to grow. And they're very, very slow to start out. Oftentimes, they need warmer soil temperatures to germinate um, than a standard, uh, you know, pepper. So Primero Red is very, very special because it is extremely productive. It's ex it's without a doubt the earliest maturing habanero that I've ever grown, um, and 
it does really well in many different regions, including northern ones where you don't get a lot of heat. I've seen it trialed again in Canada, in regions that don't typically grow habaneros very well. Um, so it matures to a full red when it's ripe. So a lot, you know, when you when a standard habanero will have kind of an orangish um, skin color to it, this will actually ripen to a full red. But the other really nice thing about it is that it has about thirty to forty percent the heat of a standard habanero. So it's still very hot. I mean, it's still hotter than a jalapeno, but it's not going to burn your face off when you <laughs> like, you know, eat a milligram of it you know it's something that you can actually get to enjoy the flavor and the thing is is habaneros have a really really interesting citrusy flavor to them um that sometimes you can't get to enjoy because you're too busy like drinking milk and bread or whatever you're doing to try to get the the um heat out of your mouth so it's a really really nice variety it's something that um i think both from a grower's perspective and a consumer's perspective uh, will be very, very well received. That's awesome. Yeah. And any others that, that, I, that we need to take note of? We did also introduce a variety called Snackabell Red this year. And this is a sweet pepper. It's a mini bell. And so it kind of has like an apple shape uh, to it. And it, it'll start out green and ripen to red. Um, it also has disease resistance. And it has a really, like the, the fruit, very thick walled. So it's nice and sweet and crunchy. It holds up well, very, very loaded. It would do well in a container or in the ground. Same thing for the Primero Red, by the way. Um, and yeah, it, it's another great variety. And you know, you talked a little bit about um, folks growing vegetables in containers. I definitely see that as, as a growing trend and something that garden centers and, and growers are hearing about all the time. And from what the research I've seen is, I mean, up to up to 40 50 percent of vegetables being grown right now are going into yeah. containers on patios so yeah yeah that's that's pretty exciting and then yeah and we haven't even talked about herbs yet too but that's <laughs> a perfect example of something that i mean pretty much the majority of herbs could easily be grown in a container i think that's a really when people start to food garden i think herbs are the easy way just because you can grow them on, you know, even if you don't have a, a balcony, you can grow them on a windowsill uh, inside, cut them, and then you're using, you know, fresh herbs that you grew in to incorporate into your meals. You can brag to your friends about it. There's lots of benefits, and obviously you're enhancing the flavor of the food you're preparing sure. as well. So, yeah. So I guess that's a good segue, because beyond peppers and tomatoes, I know home gardens, farm markets are loaded up with unique veggies and herbs as well these days. So what what have you guys at Pan Am, you know, been been working on? What what is really exciting to you when it comes to fun new introductions? And and maybe at this point you can tell us a little bit about the hand picked program and how Pan Americans um, using that uh, name to bring some of these new products to market. Sure. Um, yeah. So since we were just talking about herbs, we have some really really late flowering basil that's very very exciting. Um, we have been working with, there's a variety um, through the Burpee Home Garden program called Pepper, uh, Pesto Party. And it's one of the latest flowering basils. It's just, I mean, the if you see this thing growing, it, the leaves kind of just stack up on top of each other. And, and so you can cut basically one stem and you're going to get so much leaf material to, to use in your cooking. Um, it has a really nice, bright 
kind of strong basil-y flavor to it, so it works very well if you were to cook with it. It's a, it's a really, really nice variety. We're also doing a lot of work, and in, in the next few years, um, we'll have some more basil introductions that might have some added disease resistance uh, or other like late flowering um, varieties that have different flavors. You know, there's there's like lemon basil and Thai basil and those types of things. Um, so that's what we're working on, kind of in the in the basil realm. Another thing that we uh, are working a lot with is uh, winter squash, and we just hmm. introduced a variety called Butter Baby. And so I think this is a nice, fun variety for both home gardeners and for the, the fresh market farmers. It's basically a single serving size butternut squash. Um, we have a variety also called Honey Nut um, that we worked with Cornell University on uh, producing it. Uh, and um, it is the same size fruit, but it darkens, or when it ripens, it's a little later maturing. It also has um, kind of a dark chestnut color skin rather than your standard butternut color. But the thing, uh, so, so Butter Baby has more of a standard color uh, rind to it. It's a little bit earlier maturing and it actually stores longer. So you harvest it and it will store longer on, in, in, you know, in your kitchen or, or on a market shelf um, than, than Honey Nut does. On the opposite side of the things, like Honey Nut is known because it's super duper sweet um, and it's really, really good, you know, flavor. Butter Baby also has a really good flavor. It's just not as sweet. So you have the little trade-off um, between the two and, and they're both going to still be available. But Butter Baby is one that um, we, we just introduced that we're excited about. It also has powdery mildew resistance, which is important when it comes to, to squash. And kind of, you know, the, the single serving... Families might not necessarily be as big as they used to be. People that are single still need to eat too. And so this is a really good way to not have a bunch of leftovers too. Because the, the sides, you, know, you cut it in half. Um, you could easily have a nice meal for one person. Um, and then the other thing that's nice about the smaller fruit is that it takes less time to cook too. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, any any other uh, any other more u unique um, vegetables that that Pan Am's excited about now? Or I guess we could also say, you know, I got to ask a little bit about the future of what what's in the pipeline for growers and retailers. Um, anything else uh, exciting either coming to market recently or in, in the next few years that you want to tell the listeners about? You want me to give away all of our secrets? Is Not that what you're telling them, me? But at least one. I mean, oh, I, I got to have a hook to get listeners all right, here. All right, all right. <laughs> um, actually, you, uh, another pepper that we introduced last year, uh, Candy Cane Red. It's the first sweet striped pepper. Um, it's, a, it's a snacking type of pepper. It's one, the foliage is variegated, so you could also consider it an edible ornamental. Um, and then the fruit, it'll start out... Um, with green fruit with kind of cream-colored stripes in it. And then as it the fruit continues to develop and mature, it'll start getting tinges of orange and red with the stripes. It will, right when it's fully ripened, it'll be full red. It won't be striped. So one little hook is we're working on varieties um, that we plan to introduce in the near future that'll actually have a persistent stripe um, when it's fully ripe. So maybe a chocolate cherry type of... Um, a look to it with a, with red and, and chocolate stripes. Um, another thing 
again, kind of going back to the what we're working on for fresh market farmers, a lot of folks are growing in high tunnels, and those are basically just uh, you know covered with plastic, mm-hmm. um, and the sides of the the quote unquote greenhouse, or if you will, can roll up and down. They're very low tech. They oftentimes don't you know they they don't have heat or or anything like that usually, um, but it's kind of interesting with those because you're growing it in a protected culture. So you're, so you're growing it undercover, but you're growing the plants in the ground um, as opposed to like in a greenhouse where they would be grown in a soilless medium or hydroponically, that type of thing. So you have to be mindful of the soil borne diseases because you're growing it in the ground. And then you also have a very humid environment, so you have a lot of foliar disease pressure too. And so what we're trying to work on are varieties that have disease resistance packages that are kind of specifically suited for these high tunnel growers where it has both the soil borne and the foliar disease resistance. Wow. Yeah. That uh, is, I mean, which sounds like a, a huge uh, breeding project, but certainly one that's going to um, you know, take away a lot of the pain for especially yeah. these high tunnel growers. That's, yeah. that's exciting. And then one other thing I can't, I, I have to share this and this isn't necessarily suitable for even well for, for home gardeners, but within the next few years, we are going to be introducing seedless peppers. And the reason why I said they're not necessarily suitable for home gardeners is because in order for them to be seedless, mm-hmm. they, they can't be grown in close proximity to other peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the pollination requirements and things like that. So that's kind of another game changer that we're very, very excited about. But if it's grown in isolation, you will have a completely seedless pepper. Wow. Now, from a consumer's point of view, that means you take it, you cut it, you don't have to de-seed it, you don't, you know, um, chili rellenos, if you wanted to roast the pepper first, you don't have to kind of scrape out the seeds without trying to rip the the flesh and the walls, stuff like that. So that's something that we're really, really excited about. And and, um, the first ones that we will be introducing are just kind of sweet peppers, maybe some snack types. But what I'm envisioning is is that like all different types of peppers that you can imagine at some point in the game um, could be seedless. And so that's something that we're very, very excited about too. Wow, and anyone, yeah, anyone who's cooked with peppers knows how, how big that, that'll be, certainly, in the kitchen. Right, um, yep. That's cool. Yeah. So we got to wrap it up here. We have talked, no. just, just touched <laughs> on edible ornamentals. We've touched on container veggies. We've touched on the importance of earliness. We've touched on the specifics of disease resistance and how that impacts high tunnel growers. We've got a, I'm pretty much thinking already that we need another episode with you, Josh, just My to pleasure. get into these because <laughs> this is such a, a big a big topic. And because there's so much going on with this side of the industry, is there anything huge that, that we haven't covered that we need to touch on that you can think of? I mean, without me spending another two hours talking with you, I think that those are kind of, you know, the, the main um, takeaways right now. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, – encourage people to stay tuned because we have some really, really exciting things coming down the pipeline that hopefully uh, will continue to be game changers for the industry. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Josh. If, if our listeners have any questions, if they want to learn more about Pan Americans veggie and herb breeding, if they want to talk about their favorite varieties, make requests, trade recipes, 
What's the best way to, for them to get in touch with you? Okay, so my email, you're going to have to like learn how to spell my last name right now, which is probably as if it wasn't challenging enough to hear me babble on for the past. Well, and I'll, and I'll put this stuff in the show notes, oh, too, so there will be one Great. one click away also. <laughs> okay, so. Good. so, yeah, my email is jkirschenbaum at panamseed.com. And then if you want to see our entire assortment, if you go to panamseed.com slash handpicked, which is just the name of our uh, vegetable and herb collection within Pan American Seeds Breeding. Um, you can find all of our new, all of our existing varieties, including the new ones um, that we just introduced at uh, Spring Trials uh, last month. Awesome. And you know, I think at that website, there's also a link to the uh, the new handpicked catalog, which does yes. wrap up a lot of the these new introductions from the vegetable and even the herb side and some of the new uh seed technology with the herbs is yet yeah. another episode topic yeah 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 but you know it's fun to see pan american seed back into veggies it's such a huge part of the the program now and um just having josh uh here to uh give us a little bit of an insight into that i think is is something that we're all going to benefit from so well thank um, you Again, thanks, Josh, and to all the STEM listeners. I'm sure you've seen the demand for vegetables and herbs growing, and hopefully your sales numbers are, are reflecting this. So I know that we have a lot of grower and retailer listeners. Now's the time to look to Pan American Seed, add some of these best new varieties that Josh and I discussed to your mix, and uh, really get out there and expand those programs. So uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. Or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode, including a varieties presentation from Josh that you can share with your team. Let's end this episode with a fantastic vegetable gardening quote from author Greg Peterson. I envision a day when every city and town has front and backyards, community gardens, and growing spaces nurtured into life by neighbors who are no longer strangers, but friends who delight in the edible rewards offered from a garden they discovered together. Imagine small strips of land between apartment buildings that have been turned into vegetable gardens, and urban orchards planted at schools and churches to grow food for our communities. The seeds of the urban farming movement already are growing within our reality.